0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to
1: Season 2
0: of The fortieth. doing well with that, and I don't think you're uh, pushing it hard enough to blow an O-ring, so you're doing
1: well. It, it's the debate between whether or not I'm going to peek the microphone and or if I need a lozenge.
2: Yeah, I think, for, you, for, I, I, I think you peeked the microphone this time. Yeah. Did I? It, look, it looks like it. It looks like um,
1: it. Hey, do sucrets still exist? Are those still a lozenge? Are those still a cough drop?
0: I mean, you'd have to go to the... Uh old apothecary there old man and uh see if someone can whip it up for you get, get as long your, as i can find a five and dine get,
2: right. get your tennis balls for your walker and uh and some soup. right good god
0: nice
1: nicely done there or or ludens which is the the, the candy drug of yeah. choice nice right so uh welcome everybody back Um uh, once again uh, pleased to welcome in uh, good friends uh mr john moody hello and mr lance abert and uh, we are being joined on this episode by a a, a, uh, a friend of the group and a friend that came in at different stages for all of us, but Moody holds rank and file over all of us. Uh, yep. This this young man uh, lives in the Windy City, or at least around the, the Windy City, and is the owner, operator, or major domo at Rise Wrestling. Uh, we would like to welcome in Mr. Kevin Harvey. Kevin, welcome to 40-ish.
3: Is this the part where I'm supposed to peek the microphone? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want. Or also, some sort of terrible sound like effect. You by <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> or uh, apparently Burt's Bees does cough drops now. And I'm like, hmm. A company that does a lot of topical stuff. I don't know if I want to be ingesting
0: anything that they make. Maybe it's because somebody accidentally ingested it. And they're like, you know what? It cleaned up my cough real well. Yeah, re- and they're like, <laughs> yeah, Maybe? really, uh,
2: didn't really chapped my, uh, chapped my throat. <laughs> yeah, there you
0: go.
1: <laughs> well, before we get too deep into all the wonderful awesomeness that we're going to peg on Kevin tonight, Kevin, would you do us a favor and give us a little bit of who you are and what you do?
3: The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Uh, let's see here. Who am I? What do I do? I'm, I am guess we'll want to hit the interesting reasons. So I am a guy who runs a women's wrestling company, Rise, developing Tomorrow's Women Athletes. And what that entails is essentially running one part live events where uh, women wrestlers and sometimes occasionally some men find their way onto the shows as well, but showcasing women athletes kicking butt in the ring and entertaining the masses distributing that by uh, various video platforms, but also de- as the name would imply developing tomorrow's women athletes. So we do seminars and do a lot of things in the realm of talent development, not so much initial training for wrestlers, but more so I, I kind of relate it to like a traveling wrestling college for people that already have their diploma or GED and are kind of looking to get that next level education. Nice
1: that's pretty good yes that's hmm that answers some questions for me which is it's still gonna lead yeah. me into further questions but I appreciate that um, that answers all of them <laughs> this is over yeah. thanks <laughs> okay, thanks so much well, for your that, time yeah. Kim <laughs> right. appreciate it uh, we'll, we'll catch up for a beer at some point thanks for being on the show um so uh, I've been following your exploits in the world of wrestling for a long time and my initial awareness of your wrestling world was when you were billed as the golden voice of professional wrestling uh care to talk about uh um that aspect so what, what was really interesting to me was what you just explained clued something in for me like you are not necessarily training these women athletes to do the actual wrestling them wrestling itself they have already Uh, have a baseline knowledge of those skill sets
3: they've had i mean how many matches would you say they've had under their belt before they they join rise i've had people in seminars that have had anywhere from not yet having their first match to people that have been wrestling for north of 10 years that just want to learn more because of the level of talent that we have coming in to train i mean if you're looking at it basically any woman wrestler active today and Bol Nicanos in the United States for the first time in 20 years and training in the United States for the first time ever I got all kinds of girls that reached out that wanted to be part of that seminar because it was such a rare learning experience so we we get all kinds and varying experience levels are these
1: this is what I was actually talking with the guys before you came on uh, these are obviously not like are these hobbyists? I mean, are, are women coming because this is a, a, a professional avenue that they want to take, or is it a a um, a weekend warrior kind of thing, or is this what they want to do and what they want their life to be about? I, I kind of, I mean, I look at all the marketing materials. I mean, like, these people are not
3: just doing this for the hell of it; they are fully committed. It the answer lies somewhere in the middle there, and that answer may vary talent to talent. There are girls that I would say the vast majority of the girls that we work with in Rise. I mean, let's be real. Most people don't grow up saying, oh, I want to work independent wrestling in front of 300 people in a high school gym. They're probably thinking I I watch WWE or something on television. And that's the level they want to get to. And that's I would say the majority of our talent has a goal to be permanently on television with wwe being the obvious like global superpower that it is that's where most people's targets are set because that's where you're going to make the most money that's where you're going to be able to make the most viable living but there are some girls it it is possible to make a living on the independent scene but you've got to have have a lot of self-driven hustle you've got to have a lot of creative ideas and you've got to be good at marketing yourself to the masses to make that happen and there are some that Maybe they have a Monday through Friday, regular, what uh, normal human being job, whatever label you want to put to it. And they just enjoy the ability to be able to perform on the weekends, maybe on smaller scales. And I've met all kinds in the last 20 years. And I'd say I've met an equal amount of all of those.
2: I was going to, I was going to ask them the, uh, those seminars that you have. I mean, do they, do you teach these wrestlers how to, you know, the the market themselves in different, in, in different, um, avenues and different, um, you know, platforms as far as how to market themselves or is it kind of like, you know, one, one platform for marketing and, and so forth.
3: It really depends on who's facilitating that seminar, because I give very much uh, as close to carte blanche as possible to whoever's doing that seminar, because I don't feel that it's right for me to take somebody like, say, Medusa, who was also Lundra Blaze in WWE for a long time and in WCW and basically a globally known Hall of Fame talent. And to some degree, I'm like, who the hell am I to tell Medusa you know what to do or what to say? But you're the boss people- at that point. Well, if, if people are paying for Medusa's perspective, I don't want them to get a filtered version of what Kevin thinks Medusa should say to them. Cause I feel like it's going to be better. It's going to be organic and it really just depends on the trainer. I would say almost everybody that we've had in touches somehow on at the very least in 2018, uh, social media, it, it is a vital part of the wrestling business like it, love it, hate it, whatever it's a, it is absolutely a part of the business of professional wrestling right now. And most of our seminars will, the facilitators will give maybe their, some will soapbox on it. Some will do whole segments of a seminar on it and some will just give their two minute perspective when asked, but they're all different things that may come up. And obviously some facilitators might be better at that than others. We also do like online seminars here and there that delve more specifically into certain topics. And that's one online seminar that we've done in the past was sort of in that ballpark, presenting yourself as a commodity to get work from promotions. Cause it's, it's a job application process. Yeah. It's, a lot of people don't necessarily look at it like that. And I know all of you guys have different experiences and things that you could label the arts. And that's where a lot of freelancers miss the boat is they don't treat it like a job interview. They don't use yeah. full sentences in their email. They don't, they don't even know how to maybe even write the body of a, a letter in an email.
0: What um, me, no grammar.
3: Me feel English. That's impossible. Right. You, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. God damn it, Kevin,
0: Yeah, I mean, and um, Lance too, I can speak on this because I actually got to um, sit back and hang out backstage at one of the um, seminars too during the day and watch some of the stuff. And I I thought it was fascinating just to see how um, uh, the person in question was, I I looked it up just so I would sound informative, was uh, Michael Elgin when he was there. And just some of the like the little critiques and things that he was talking about more of, um, how to get, like the ma- the maximum impact. Like, so when you do a certain move, to make sure that you sell it like so, or and to always be aware of where all the um, where all the main um, cameras are, so you can sell them to each corner of that, uh, of that ring. And I mean, you'd like it, Lance, because really it's a lot like. Um, it's a lot like putting on a theater production in some respects, right. you know if you think of putting on a show in the round, you know that kind of thing and I mean, I was talking with Michael backstage and I was like, why wasn't there something like this for um bands starting out at the beginning because I mean like everything he said I could have you know, if you took the wrestling part out of it could have been applied to a starting band of like this is how you sell the audience this is how you connect with them without you know, directly talking to them. This is how you convey emotion through this and this and this. And it was just like stuff that I am like, wow, I never thought of it in that regard. So, yeah, Kevin brings in some amazing clinicians for this. Kevin,
1: when do you determine whether or not a client of, of regardless of skill set uh, has that well, I'm going to say that it factor, you know, that you you you've Foresee them growing and and maybe even graduating, so to speak, from rise and moving onward and upward. Uh, what kind of characteristics are you looking for in an athlete that's going to be a well-rounded professional uh, that can go far?
3: That's the fun part about having an industry like pro wrestling is it, it's casting, and you're not always looking for cookie-cutter kind of things. I mean, if every wrestler in the world looked the same and for a while the wwe had a lot of their fan base who wasn't maybe as into their product because there was a certain body type there was like a haircut type if you had tattoos they kind of fell into this certain mold and now they're they're starting to branch out a little bit more with their developmental territory and things like that where you're seeing a lot more different body types a lot more a a different cast of characters and to me just uh Almost any talent like I'll I'll throw out two vastly different talents for Rise, one by the name of Kikio, one by the name of Shotzi Blackheart. And both girls have been at the very core of what we do since the very first Rise event. And they've had some high profile matches and moments with us. Shotzi was our our second champion and actually the longest reigning champion. Kikio's had some of the highest profile matches of her career. And if the entire show was girls who looked like Kikio, talked like Kikio moved like Kikio or the entire roster had green hair like Shotzi Blackheart or full sleeve tattoos like Shotzi Blackheart or how old, like the Wolfman like Shotzi Blackheart that then you don't really have that special bond with the audience if everybody's doing it or if everybody has that same thing. So to one degree, I guess you could say it's a, a time and place kind of a thing, right time, right place for a person, because there's if I already had people that were similar to Shotzi or similar to Kikio, you still want to keep those characters unique. You still want to keep those personas special. And so that that's one part of it. I mean, there, there are certain things like with, with the general mechanics of the ring, and I won't go too inside baseball on this one, but for the most part, people who have been around wrestling, especially veteran wrestlers, can just look at the way people move around the ring and the way their feet move and either kind of give a thumbs up like this person's a good athlete Or kind of a, uh, they might be a danger to themselves and others kind of (laughs) reaction. And so it's, there is definitely one part that is seeing when somebody's comfortable enough in the ring and training and knowing that we can put them in front of an audience or feeling that the time is right. But then there's kind of that next level because does this person connect with an audience? Do they bring something to the table that is different than the hundreds of other wrestlers that are out there? And how can we get behind that? How can we... Find that spark that they have, and how can we empty a gas can on it and help it flame up?
1: So, when you have an athlete that has all those that passion, that skill set, has developed, a character, has moved on, um, how often are are you staying connected with those that uh, kind of? I keep using the word graduate, and please correct <laughs> me if that's wrong. Um, it, but they move on to. Uh, the next professional level, be it WWE or I, which I assume is the next level. Uh, I don't know if there's another intermittent intermediary step at all. Um, do you stay in contact with those athletes? Do they come back and and, and participate and help uh, continue to grow the brand? I'm looking at some of these recent events and I'm seeing names that I'm not personally familiar with until I see, you know, an, a fairly prominent actor who's listed in this, in this, um, this bill. Um, So do you stay connected with them? Do they typically remember their roots, so to speak?
3: It varies for the talent because a lot of the people that I know in wrestling, I knew them before there was ever a rise in existence. Uh, So some I've been friends for a longer period of time or maybe had a more personal relationship with them, uh, just knowing them more than just, Hey, I'm going to tell you to wrestle for this long and face this person. But there's, I mean, there are a lot of talents in WWE and, and really WWE is the only place that when people move on to that level of wrestling, that's usually the only time that I don't like to say they get stolen from us. That's the point when a talent becomes unavailable to an independent like Rise. Uh, example being Tony Storm was a huge part of events we had last December in California. Mm-hmm. Well, Tony Storm is no longer able to appear specifically on Rise events because of contractual obligations she has being part of WWE's. NXT UK brand there and the contract that comes along with that and that's not a bad thing that's a great thing for Tony that's a great thing for the industry and that's actually opens up an opportunity for some girl to say you know what Tony Storm spot on the card is open I'm gonna show that maybe I can be the next Tony Storm or I can be the next Shayna Baszler that's another person in the WWE universe if uh so to speak that it was part of the first couple of rise events and th- there's a lot of folks who've been part of rise events that have actually gone on to wwe now there's other organizations like ring of Honor is a very prominent place in the united states and really worldwide same with impact wrestling who rise has a formal relationship with as well those are like your primary three televised uh, both domestically and globally wrestling federations but with impact We still have access to impact talent. We have impact talent that's more veteran talent that's been part of our shows. One of the mainstays of Rise has been the demon assassin Rosemary, which came from her character on impact television. But at the same time, we've been able to send impact talents that they've met through Rise like Shotzi Blackheart, like Ray Lynn, like Ruby Rays, like Heather Monroe. And it's been a really fun two-way street to see that happen. So really the only time when somebody, uh, and graduates isn't a bad word to use. I mean, there's no industry lingo necessarily for, hey, when somebody moves on, but that's really it is when somebody moves on to WWE, they aren't cut off from our world. It's just, they aren't available to us for events anymore. And even just in the last week, there's people who are contracted to in the WWE world, like Nikki cross is a character who I believe is on their SmackDown program on Tuesdays. Now I just was in an exchange with her within the last week or so. Uh, Still, uh, there's a lot of girls in their developmental system now that have been part of rise. Chelsea green just recently went to their NXT developmental system. Mia Yim's another girl who's been a part of rise events and who I've known for years before that as well. And those are girls that I could shoot a message right now. And I'm pretty confident as long as it isn't something rude or stupid they would probably reply in a fairly prompt manner and even
1: if it was rude or right. stupid you'd probably get some kind of response <laughs> well isn't
0: that um isn't that whole kind of back and forth relationship kevin kind of the 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 rationale you had originally when you and I talked a couple years back when you were looking for a logo for this because you saw a need for a for somebody to start getting these, giving these wrestlers a step up into the independence so they could, you know, graduate to the WWE. Otherwise without that, it was starting to look like there was going to be, you know, quite a drought of, um, of female talent.
3: That's exactly where rise was born. If you rewind the clocks to the summer of 2016, WWE just did their second annual May Young Classic with the first happening in the summer of 2017. In the summer of 2016, people inside the industry had heard, I would say, more than whispers. they he- We'd heard enough to know that WWE was doing something in the realm of a women's tournament or a women's show or something that was going to be very centric on a women-exclusive roster for whatever this event would be produced, which we now know as the May Young Classic, which they've mm-hmm. done for two years running. And going into the Shimmer tapings, that's another company I'm affiliated with, Shimmer Women Athletes, what most would consider the gold standard of women's independent wrestling worldwide. And that Shimmer taping alone in November 2016, we lost almost our entire tag team division. That was the last tapings with the then tag team champions. One of them is now known as Ruby Riot in WWE. The other one is now known as Dakota Kai in the developmental system. We lost those two that weekend to WWE signings. There was, uh, who's uh, cherry bomb is a, her independent name. She's known on impact as Allie. She signed, I believe at the time, an exclusive deal with impact where she wouldn't be allowed on the independence might not be a hundred percent fact based on that one. Let's pretend that it's something in that ballpark happened. A talent by the name of Kimberly was signed by WWE at the time. And it, it was six girls in all. I think it ended up being seven because another got signed after that shimmer taping weekend mm-hmm. that were now no longer available to us on the independence. And the idea was, to get ahead of that. And those were the ones that we knew about without even getting into a women's tournament, a women's show, whatever that mystery women's project may be. So I basically sat down in the late and the mid to late summer of 2016 with shimmer owner, Dave Prazak and said, Hey man, I've got this idea because it seems like the writing is on the wall that a whole lot of women might not be available to us very very soon and we are probably six to 18 months from completely screwed for talent unless we do something right now to identify like who's maybe ready right now that maybe we just don't know about or who can we kind of keep on the burner in rise and see how we can bubble them up to move them on to a shimmer move them on to think grander platforms than than rise or shimmer can offer and we decided let's do this seminar and see what happens and 40 women turned out for the rise one seminar and we realized, okay, maybe there's more of a need for this than we first thought we knew there was some need. We just didn't know how big that need was going to be. Right. Is there a lot
1: of collaboration? So I know you said you have a relationship with shimmer and you mentioned several other, um, wrestling promotion companies. Is there a lot of collaboration where it may, where you're, you're not trading wrestlers, exchanging wrestlers, having joint effort, um, events or is it more professional courtesy, but everybody kind of stays in their own lane. Uh,
3: again, it kind of depends. It depends on the relationship. Like we have uh, for Rise, a buzz phrase that I have had since the beginning of Rise is that we believe the future lies in collaboration, not competition. How can companies work together to build a better future than working in competition and just everybody trying to hoard their own share of the not very much money that there is to be made on the independent wrestling level. And so we've stepped shimmer was our very first relationship. In fact, I didn't know that if we would be shimmer exclusive, maybe we'd only do once or twice a year when shimmer would run, but very quickly by the second rise show, we had a relationship with AWS promotions in California with Bellatrix in the United Kingdom with stardom in Japan, with SOvation promotions in Japan with, uh, destiny wrestling in Canada. We haven't necessarily done some of these haven't necessarily been fan facing or things would necessarily be like, Oh, here's an interesting story. And here's a tale And obviously wrestling in this promotion in this country, but we still work together in a lot of ways. And I I can say rise has worked in collaboration with a number of independents that the ones I just listed a number that I have probably forgotten. And we've even worked in collaboration with impact with ring of honor and even WWE like WWE and I've worked together to coordinate talent travel, uh, for some that they had on unique events before they were had talent signed, but they were doing some WWE obligations. WWE helped me piece together the disaster that almost was our UK event because several key talents were affected by the hurricanes in the fall of last year. Oh, right. And so I was working with WWE's travel department to try to get Medusa who was in Las Vegas for the may young classic one finals Mm -hmm. somehow. Cause I had her flying out of Tampa and you couldn't get into or out of Tampa on an airplane because of the hurricanes. So they worked together with me to make sure that we shared the cost, to make sure that we got Medusa in the country of England on time. <laughs> right. where We needed her to be and it narrowly made it almost didn't make it, but that's if you can work together and, every company can still protect its own interests, but at the same time, there's a way that both sides can benefit. Maybe that's financially, maybe that's in terms of talent development, but it, it's not always in a way that's right out there where the fans can see the rise logo next to the impact logo next to the ring of honor logo next to the WWE logo. It's not always that interesting, but there right. are ways that all of those companies can work together. So let's talk about, um, your your
1: work ethic and how how it, the business actually happens i know you do a ton of work like your entire life is the success the success or failure of this venture is it just you do you have a team uh, i know you work with other events i'm, I'm just kind of curious are, are you working the phones constantly are you you writing the emails are you kissing the babies how is it all working from a, from a business perspective when you're, when you're growing something like this, do you have a team? Is it, is it just the Kevin Harvey show?
3: About, I would say 85 ish percent of what most people would call the day-to-day operations of running a wrestling company. They are me. Like if you write an email to any of the public facing rise, email addresses, the social media accounts, like those are all run by me. Nobody else is even signed into those. Wow. Nothing like that. Um, Now, there are people that for certain tasks get, uh, there are certain things that honestly are either my skill set is terrible or I plain don't have it. And I can tell you one of the reasons that I've rekindled my relationship with my friendship with John Moody as much in the last couple of years. Well, there's a number of reasons we probably won't get into on this podcast. Some other things. Sweet, sweet loving. (laughs) But when the time came for me to think, gosh, I probably need somebody to design a logo because God knows I can't do that reaching out to John John's done a lot of graphic design work for us because I basically if you ever look at the rise stuff and go oh man that's kind of shitty that's probably something that I did if you go oh that's actually kind of nice that's either something John did or somebody from the impact team may have done and there's like depending on what what promotion we're partnering with for what event sometimes I do I essentially have an obligation to use different people in different situations, but like the, the event you were just talking about you're time, I'm assuming you were referencing David Arquette being on rise 10. Like, yeah, all that's really amazing. Of that, <laughs> all versions of that DVD cover were done by John. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to uh, the creation, the actual, uh, the creating of the shows and the storylines, a longtime friend of mine, uh, wrestler Jimmy Jacobs, who is also a writer for WWE television for a number of years, currently is on the creative team for Impact Wrestling. So somebody with a vast experience in writing weekly episodic wrestling television and larger scale pay-per-view events. Jimmy Jacobs actually writes the primary shows with me. And then on the days of the events, when it's actually event day, that's when there's a lot of hands on deck. Cause we have somebody to run our music. I've got Tony who runs my music. I've got photographers in Hilda and uh, various other photographers that might be ringside. I've got Mike Robles who takes care of the video shooting and the video editing. I've got Ivan who takes care of putting together the weekly episodes and like putting interview packages with matches that were shot and edited by Mike and kind of sewing everything together. So when it comes to the final product, a lot of hands in the cookie jar, but just if, and sometimes people ask me like, Hey, do you program your tweets? I saw some random thing at like three 15 this morning. I said, Nope, I was just up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. Well, I'd like to ask you what in, in your, when was it that you were, you had decided to, that you were wanting to get into this venture? I mean, is it, was it something that as a kid you were like, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah, you know, when, when was that time that you said, you know what, I'm going to you know, start my own company and, you know, and, and what did you, who did you use as a kind of as a, uh, as an example or as a kind of a mentor, um, if you, if you can even share that, but you know, what was, what was that type of process like?
3: Yeah. In terms of Starting my own company, it was one part. It was kind of hard to do in that we hadn't really nothing had ever really been done of this type yet. So we were kind of pioneering into some degree or still figuring out who the hell we are and what we're doing. But there's uh, different promoters that I've worked for over the years. And some of them may even be uh, bosses that I had outside of the wrestling realm because a a good leader is a good leader, whether that's in pro wrestling, a band leader, a retail manager, whatever it might be a good leader is a good leader They They can be charismatic. And if given a platform, they can lead people in a direction that they mm-hmm. want to go. So wrestling wise, uh, Dave Prezak and shimmer. I mean, there's for Dave to pioneer the concept of shimmer, what it was in 2005 and for any independent promotion to still be going in 2018, that started in 2005. That is not a common thing at all. And to have the part in revolutionizing women's wrestling and featuring the athleticism on the forefront that shimmer has, That's obviously there's something going right there. And I've worked with Dave for almost all of that time. So I've seen firsthand kind of how he does things, how he manages things, creates the shows, but manages talent, runs the backstage attention to detail. Uh, There's a friend of mine uh, whose wrestling name is Danny Daniels, who is heavily involved in AAW pro, which is the most prominent promotion in the Chicago market. They've been going for a very long time. I think they're at, gosh, I think they're at like 15 or 16 years this year. And and that's not easy to do. It's not easy to run any like private family owned business for any length of time, let alone north of 15 years. That's crazy. But knowing what those guys do, there may be things that maybe I might do differently or think differently, but there's still the ideas and the principles you can take from all these different folks that you still might want to do. There's something you might want to to borrow from what they've done or a way that, you might not have agreed with the way that they said or did something. And I'm not speaking necessarily about Dave or Danny here, but there's probably a whole smorgasbord of people in my past that I don't necessarily even realize how much of an influence they are in my day to day. In fact, I'll random thing. Just within the last two days, I referenced a very specific like learning point or a time when basically somebody kind of put their arm around me and said, basically, Hey Kev, you probably should do it this way. I was referencing the first job I ever had when I was a bag boy at Meijer in 1996. Wow. To this day, I'm still pulling like this life lesson out of the Rolodex of life lessons. And that's the thing, like a good leader, or a, a, people can be influenced and remember the strangest things. In fact, earlier tonight, in fact, uh, I was just watching the Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special with a friend who was over. And I told her, you know what's funny? I said, this is how I learned about Hanukkah. Like, I still have this memory from whenever nice. that <laughs> Pee-wee's Playhouse Christmas special was on. That was how I learned about Judaism and Hanukkah for the first time was Pee-wee's Playhouse. So you learn stuff and you retain stuff from the weirdest places. And that good leader that I had back in 1996 when I was basically bagging groceries and slinging grocery carts at a Meyer store in Battle Creek, Michigan. Be careful about
0: that, though, Kevin, because you're just going to stir up the
2: blood for Jason as he just starts know, complaining got. about Meijer. I have so many comments about Meyer. Well, it's it's funny you said that as a bagger because it's I, I I still think you know bagging was you know kind of my first real job and you know having you know having one of the probably one of the best managers I've ever had you know in that role. I mean, really helped my you know, help kind of develop my career and you know, my career path and you know how I how I lead. And, um, you know, cause so, yeah, I mean, when you set those examples, especially at those, at those ages of, you know, that we were at those times, um, you know, that we were still developing, I mean, we were, I mean, developed as far as we were as, becoming, you know, young adults, but our, you know, our work ethic and our work, you know, kind of career life, you know, was, was developing. And so having, having a leader, especially in that early age stage of your life, is is important and um it's really it made a difference for me so it's it's interesting that you said that you know bagging at uh 96 so
1: so kevin when it comes to things outside of wrestling that that interest you uh how many what what are the kind of things do you do in your spare time should you find it um the I mean, I I wonder, because when in my former life as a teacher, when I wasn't teaching, let's say the summers were off and stuff like that, if I came across something that made sense for a lesson I was going to do or a classroom event or something, my brain was always going back to that classroom and what I could do next and how I could develop and change for the better. When you step away from wrestling, be it a vacation, you, you come home, holidays, whatever it ends up being. What, what do you like to do for fun? And are you actually able to separate because so much of your life uh, revolves around rise?
3: In the last two years, there's almost zero separation. That's to some degree, a calculated risk. To some degree, that's a lesson learned. But there is almost zero time that is not connected to that in some way. Because when you're talking about running your own business and you are the vast majority of resources day to day, anything that comes up. Like I, I got a PayPal dispute in my email today from something from like a month ago. Well, it, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. Uh, even the friend I had over earlier today is a wrestler is part of the rise ecosystem was talking with her about some long-term ideas. Like, Hey, what if we did this to lead to this, to lead to this. And that's what my chilling watching Peewee's Christmas on the couch looked like was still planning events like six months down the line Just in the conversation, Uh, there's things I do enjoy. Like I, I'm not a big video gamer. Mm. The couple of games I like, I like, but maybe once or twice a year, I will buy a video game and play the heck out of that game and then not even turn the PlayStation on for 10 months after that. Um, I just played the new Spider-Man game, though. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I've heard that's pretty good. Yeah, I haven't gotten over to that yet. I've been caught up in all my fighting games just because I, I like a good old button smasher.
3: Indeed, yeah. G- gaming isn't real huge. Like I, I am musically inclined. I would love to be able to scratch that itch in some way, but the the time and the resources just aren't there for that. Um, I used to be really into uh, fitness, and lately I'm more into fatness. <laughs> um, <laughs> similar idea, different bowel different vowel. Well, different bowel too, I guess. right And yeah, much more delicious.
1: Good. Much more delicious. So. All right, I'm going to put you on the hook here, Moody. Uh, I I need some I need some Kevin Harvey goodness from your time together here in the great state of Michigan, Southwest Michigan, a particular college town of Kalamazoo and Western Michigan University. I have some of my own memories, but they pale in comparison to the. Um, I don't want to go as far to say. as debauchery but the
0: debauchery i mean that is (laughs) like i like i told um like i told jen today i was like kevin harvey would be the man that if i run for president he would be guaranteed a very high um cabinet position just to keep his mouth shut (laughs) So I mean, not uh, unfair, not right, unfair, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, no, there's there's a ton of stuff that Kevin and I did. I mean, and a lot of it was just Kevin was really good with just running with ideas. Like, I mean, my biggest one I remember was um, my senior year in my art class. I had to do a video, <laughs> and so I kind of did this this thing on my time at Cedar Point of. Like just as you know, this is kind of what they meant, but this is really what it what happened. And so it was this kind of thing of everything would be distorted. And so Kevin did the voiceover for um, my boss on it, and it was him and our other mutual friend Jen Sarah. And the funny thing was, um, you know, I just said, "Hey, this first time, I want you to run it through just like you're very concerned." I was like, "The second time, just go off on it." And some of the stuff he he put out into this, like when we were showing it at the final and Kevin came in to sit in the final with me and the art teacher thought it was cool. Like people were gasping, you know, and, and legitimately getting offended from what he actually said on
3: some of it. Does this recording still exist? Ah, God, I don't think so. Oh, I know I don't have any of that one, but yeah, that was, uh, the, the gist of that voiceover, was yeah, it was the concern boss, but then there was a cartoon transition where basically the boss became Satan. Yep. And shall we say made an unnatural ventriloquist doll out of the uh the facsimile of Mr. Moody in this particular project. Right. And I was rather colorful in Col- my description. Colorful. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: I think the yeah. only part I ever remember on it was, hey, look at me. I'm a little guy.
3: <laughs> Yes, and then the soundbite after that, we probably shouldn't air. <laughs> yeah, that, that
0: would definitely turn this into an NC-17 podcast.
3: <laughs> Let's just say it was a vivid description of where hands were and presumptive activities
2: that right. we would be involved with that. Well, that was a diplomatic way of answering that. <laughs> painting pain- <laughs> Yeah. I'm totally well, yeah. painting a picture here.
3: Or I think the other one... <laughs> I do one... <laughs> remember that the devil sounded like this. Uh, no, that's no, all me. I really remember.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and the other ones that we could say would be like, because Kevin and I were always in the traveling pep band. And yeah. so we, yeah. aside from rooming together, we also had the really smart idea that like, if you went there on a Friday night, they would give you, uh what was it? It was like a $20 per DM per day. So they give you 60 bucks. Even though you'd be leaving Sunday morning, like after the Continental Breakfast, they'd still give you money. And so Kevin and I would look at each other and be like, you know what? We can pool our money, spend eighty dollars on beer, and the rest of it, we I mean, we don't really need to eat a lot. We can have chips and stuff. So we did a lot of um creative economics in
3: yes. in uh, marching band like that. Well, and that was also at the time when you could get a case of a lower end beer at Drake's party store there in Kalamazoo for like a 30 pack cube for like, I think it was less than $30. Yeah. It was, it worked out to less than a dollar a can. I remember that part of the economics, but there was one particular weekend that I I vividly remember because we had like a triple shot. We had a girl's basketball game and then a men's basketball game. And then a hockey all in the game. Same, yes. All, and all in the same venue for basketball. And then your dorm was right next to the field house if i'm remembering correctly so yep. we just had to walk to your dorm French. and then i don't necessarily uh-huh. remember how we got to the arena i certainly hope driving wasn't involved we probably walked over I there i think we walked i think i'm because, pretty sure we walked yeah cuz didn't we have Were we car- oh no we weren't carrying the amp the whole way they had the no. like the little amp at the hockey arena we had the big amp at the yep. at the basketball arena but when we got up there i'm i'm carrying a tuba john's got his base and we're both have we like each have a handle of the amplifier and working our way up the stairs of a hockey arena and let's just say to me and john we thought we were doing okay but to the grad assistant brian we clearly were not doing okay no, Yeah, <laughs> it's something where i wish in hindsight i could see the video of this because it's definitely one of those oh i'm fine i'm fine right. definitely not fine no because he just came up and said what what Was, did he call us idiots or assholes? I think he said, well, have you idiots been drinking? Probably our response was, (laughs) and I think our response was, (laughs) I think that that was probably it. And, and the bad thing was we actually played that show pretty well. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I think that's all he said afterwards. Like, can you play? Yeah. Yeah. But now I, I also wonder if we uh, if we had a tape of that, as much as you and I are saying right now, yeah, we played all right. right. Is it going to be like that family guy where Peter, yes. so, yeah. a handful of Peter, and if we watch the tape, it's just you and me, like you just like mashing the bass with an open hand palm. Bam, bam, all right. Bam. My lips aren't even in the mouthpiece of the tuba. I'm just buzzing them in the open air. I mean, that's not mouth. much different than how I play now, so... Yeah, I mean that—that's a kind of music, right?
1: It's more more grimacing now. It's more of the facial expression that sells it, right? Oh man, we, did you guys live in the in the valley together too?
0: No, <clears throat> no, okay, I think so, it was only in. Um, we were the close ghetto. in. Yeah, it was in the ghetto most of the time because Kevin was literally really around the
1: corner. Right. Yeah. I, so he wasn't there for my epic weekend down there, but the other times I, I yep. remember. I remember Kevin at the house many a time.
3: Yep. Yep. Cause that was not even a full block away there. Cause yeah, John, let's see. Cause when John lived in, what was that one? French Hall? Uh The one that was by the house? Yep. Yeah. When he was in French Hall, I was in Draper Hall, which wasn't, it was the closer dorm. It definitely wasn't as far out as the valley. Like it was an easy walk down a hill, I think, to, yeah, uh, to French Hall. Yep. And then we lived in the student ghetto, which, Uh, You know, a lot of people say that tongue in cheek in the student ghetto of Western Michigan University. There is very much a what most people would call a ghetto. We aren't speaking like hyperbole of, oh, that's ghetto. Like, yeah, people would usually say, okay, are you really in the ghetto? How close are you to Oak Street Market? And that was kind of the line between like where you're speaking in hyperbole and where what most would actually consider a ghetto is in the Kalamazoo area. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm like a half a block away. And people would just kind of go, ooh. Yeah, and then John just lived around the corner from that because I was at five seventeen Oak Street, and then you were at well, just around the corner it was Walnut, Walnut, right? Yeah. What was the address,
0: Jay? Uh, nine thirty? No, not nine th- eight.
1: Some- six twelve, six thirteen. Some could be like that, yeah. Six
3: thirteen, yeah, six thirteen Walnut sounds about right. I, I sent a lot Walnut. of flowers to the room to the house next door. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, for all you stalkers out there, we haven't lived there in 20 years now, so you yeah. will have to try harder.
1: Yeah. Or maybe they have. Maybe they're just slumming it. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, now I'm going to look. Yeah, I I'm, do remember
0: specifically, I don't know if you were there or not, Kevin, but it was one of the times we were sitting on the porch and there was somebody that was running down the street, like screaming, help me. And not yeah. in like a joking manner, like there was that legitimate tone of terror behind their voice.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And we just kind of sat there, watched him go by it. I'm still just still drinking. (laughs) There's a lot of alcohol consumed
3: on that street. Yeah, Well, it is student ghetto. Yeah, there was. And I'm trying to think if. uh, Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and tell this story from the days at Walnut because it's one of those. I was young. I was stupid. It's not me now. So it's okay. Right. (laughs) There was one, one point where there was a. I wouldn't even say maybe it was a party It was definitely a larger than like two friends gathering, but there was like music on and beers flowing and things at the house. And I got properly chemically balanced fairly early on in this affair. And I was uh, leaving that house on Walnut Street to walk back to mine with somebody that I knew there. And I apparently much louder than I recollected at the time as I'm exiting with this person. I just completely bellow into the house behind me. I'm going home and I'm going to have sex. (laughs) Now, John, you (laughs) described to me what the rest of that party felt like, because I know that's what I said, but in my (laughs) mind, it's like, is that the like forks are hitting plates (laughs) moments if it were at a restaurant? I think some of it
0: was just the turning around being like, did he really say that? And he, is he really going to? And he's really going goes. to, yeah.
3: And, uh, and furthermore, like, what a what a classy guy! Like, I was probably either arm in armor right next to the person. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, one of one of my prouder moments. But that soundbite, it's like, oh god, right. why?
1: I see, so and like I'm, so
3: many things in our youth. Why did I say or do? Just think of this? it this
0: way, though, Kevin. There's no social media at that point, right? It's it's our faulty memory at
1: that right. point, yeah.
3: You had to screw up in person if you wanted to offend somebody. Exactly.
1: I mean, I'm looking at the house right now. I forgot it was right on the corner of Walnut and Pearl there, and I'm looking uh-huh. at this front porch and going, "John, how many how many clove cigarettes did we consume on that
0: front porch? <laughs> A lot.
1: Because Ke- Kevin was actually my
0: uh, clove cigarette partner. He and I would be the ones smoking those usually. Jar and Blacks or
3: where'd oh, you yeah. go? Go yeah, all the it's way. usually Jaram Blacks. Yep. Yeah, the, What I love about the Jaram Blacks is there was like a six month run where there was a typo in the Surgeon General's warning that they never corrected. And I, my master plan was, well, if I ever get cancer from these things, I can sue them because it didn't actually have a warning on it. It <laughs> said Surgeon General's <laughs> warning: Quitting smoking greatly reduces serious to health. Yeah, but it missed that's the word right. risks. Huh? It was missing the word risks. It was it greatly reduces serious to health.
0: So, yeah, Uh, it's basically, why would I quit? It sounds like it would be awful if I did. What I'm just realizing now is how did
1: we get away? Well, you guys didn't have to worry about it, but how did those of us who were guests at that house ever get away with parking in that weird little lot all those times and never, ever, ever getting ticketed?
0: Because we didn't have parking passes. If you don't have passes, they can't prove that you're supposed to be there.
3: Yeah, but there was, wasn't there like the elementary school or something there where as long as you weren't parking when school <clears throat> was in session.
0: Oh, yeah, that, that was over. That was when I was on Pearl Street because it was right by Shenery.
3: Yes. Which I was that,
0: just there for a meeting.
1: Yep. Or not.
0: Yeah, no, you could park there. You had to park over like where I parked in that far corner they were cool with.
1: Yeah, yeah, we, you always had direct us back against the, like, not, not quite the fence, but kind of all yeah, the way you, to the back. Oh, you had to be just, just in the far corner if you were going to park over there. And they're like, all right. Now, Kevin, you know the story that my wife Beth was the lived in the other half of this house. Yes, that's how I met her. It was a, a, a rager with John. Yeah, <laughs> one of one of probably five of that I know existed, but two that I have some recollection of. Right, God, this God, this city! What a wonderful town!
3: Yeah. One morning, I woke up on the other ho- or the other porch, and I'm gonna go have sex. Right, <laughs> I, I was never that lucky. Come on.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a that's a story for a whole another one. Yeah. No. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then Kevin would show up and go trademarked, and then yeah. I'm getting all kinds of trouble. I just come over shaking a jar of pennies and ones, yeah, asking for. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of dollars,
0: but hold on. I will dismantle my nightstand, which is currently made of ramen.
3: Yes, (laughs) that was a thing. I was going to say I limped over there with Justice, my hickory stick. Oh, yeah. My my jar of pennies. That was another great, uh, oh, my God, what an idiot I was moment. Because for a while, I tore. I actually had a knee injury, which I didn't know what it was at the time. This was around New Year's of, God, probably 90. That had to be 99 if we were in the student ghetto. 99 going into 2000. Yeah, yeah. sounds right. I jacked my knee up and I had this hickory stick that I bought for some reason at an antique shop. And it was the only thing I could use as a crutch. And I went over to the Walnut street house and I only had two beers, but I had this epiphany where I was like, Oh no, I went to the, either the doctor or the ER and they gave give me, it wasn't painkillers, but it was like super high level Motrin like 800s or something. And I knew that I'd been taking a lot of medicine and not like I was abusing it in any way, shape or form. But I had this moment where I was like, you're not supposed to drink and take medicine, are you? I don't want to die. And so I remember li- to- basically saying, hey, guy, I'm going to go home just because I-, I don't want s- right. to like, see what happens here. Right. Um, and so I, re- I remember limping out with Justice the Hickory Stick and I was with my roommates at the time and I kind of lost my footing on like a patch of ice And then the next thing I remember, I was at the top of the stairs at my house with no idea how the hell I got there. Yeah, I was like, "Oh God, why?" And like, why do how do people do this so regularly? Mixing alcohol and right pavement. This is such a a terrible idea. Alcohol and pavement.
1: Well, it's like the brilliant people that make meth. How uh, how do you make such a poor life choice? Yet you're a brilliant chemist. I don't understand. How, um, so who all lived in that? Now now I'm going all the way down memory lane because I only remember, John, you living in that Pearl Street house for like 15 minutes, but I know it was longer than that.
0: Yeah, I Who lived, all lived, in, who lived in that house? Who, who was in there? Uh, the Pearl house was Brian Zira and Jason Dudache, uh two guys from the music fraternity with me. I don't remember those guys at all it's because we really didn't, yeah. we didn't really party with them. Cause once I left the Walnut street house, Paul still stayed there. So I always went over and hung out with him.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Cause wasn't it, it was you Paul and BSV, right? Yep. At Walnut. Yep. 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 What
0: a douchebag! I mean, there was a beautiful irony in giving the biggest guy, the, the smallest, smallest room in that place. Like it barely fit a twin bed. <laughs> And
3: and <laughs> he sure as hell didn't sort of fit fine.
0: on a twin bed.
1: No. <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> yeah, the uh the, the room I had at Oak Street was tiny, but I was the last one I was like a last minute addition to that house. And right. I basically like it the room didn't even have a closet. I remember the the landlord had to put like a bureau of some kind in there just to be able to hang anything. So that's why I had to build my nightstand out of ramen, you know, for furniture and nutrition. Yeah, right. well, you
1: reach over in the middle of the night, and you're like, hmm, am I looking for my glasses, or do I just need a hit of some sort of pasta?
3: Yeah, I could turn my alarm off and, you know, get some shrimp-flavored noodles. It's it's fine. It's fine.
1: And and what the amount of sodium you need for one month, is that usually what it was, those little flavor packets?
3: Yeah, it's, it's an, uh, just short of what's needed to chemically neuter a bull elephant.
1: <laughs>
3: it's like, what is this? This is forty ti- 43 times the lethal dose of sodium for anything
2: <laughs> wasn't yeah, there they
3: actually stopped using milligrams and just use grams yep. yeah yeah <laughs> they're like yeah who are we kidding oh
1: my god no we're gonna have to do it i know these show when we get into these topics the shows just become for us but uh <laughs> i we gotta we gotta walk through those two weekends we gotta walk through those weekends where um we'll do that another time uh, Kevin, what is one uh, piece of advice you'd like to give someone who is aspiring to get into what I'm going to describe as the entertainment business, right? Um, for professional wrestlers, it's a little bit of both, right? It, they've got to have the physical skill set to, to compete, but then they have to have all the savvy. What's the number one thing that you would immediately say to someone, uh, if it's not giving up the goat here, that they have got to have—is it perseverance? Is it intelligence? Is it do they have to know somebody? What what is the number one thing that they've got to have to remotely have a chance at success?
3: Well, I'd say really anything in the arts, kind of, because I've had a, a toe in the water of a lot of different entertainment genres, and though they may be different subject matter, pro wrestling, I I often say is very punk rock. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just as punk rock is very stand-up comedy is very like anything that involves creating new content. Maybe that's spoken word that could be writing, but it's all a part of when you're starting out in all of those things, you're probably playing shitty venues, probably dealing with some shitty people and you're probably taking it at some sort of financial loss. You might not necessarily not be getting paid, but you may have paid more in gas to get there than you got paid at the door to actually perform whatever your, your role or your art is. And I think the biggest thing you can really do when you're starting out in any of those realms is as often as possible, ears open, mouth shut. In order were to break it down into a, a, just one thing. Cause I, I say that from experience, uh, I have not been the best person. And to this day, I will tell you, I am not the best person at keeping my mouth shut. In fact, it's probably one of my least, uh, my least developed skills in my adult life. And when I look in hindsight at opportunities that maybe I haven't had, or that I know maybe I was passed over for at different times, it's probably because there were times I should have kept my opinions, which at my youthful discretion, I thought was, you know, gold and the only way to do it. Well, with age and time, you realize There's different perspectives and times that the world doesn't need to know what you think about this or times you don't need to publicly say something about a company that you're trying to work for or an organization that you're trying to work with, Uh, especially in the in the year that we live in, in the realm of technology. I have seen it happen where people said something dumb on Twitter or Facebook or even like a MySpace or something that basically if it still exists, it's cost them opportunities now and it may be some dumb thing that they tweeted 10 years ago at this point. Right. I don't know if Twitter's 10 years old, but you get the idea uh, where something that they said that could be taken out of context and screenshotted. And it's just like, man, you just really, if you are in any sort of public facing realm, you really have to watch what you say. What do you actually put out there on the internet? And there's even stuff that I put out there. And even though I consider myself mindful of it where I'm just like, God, why did I, why did I say that? I mean, some, that's the fun part about Facebook memory. Sometimes I make myself laugh like eight years later. And right. sometimes I go, Jesus, that's what I thought was funny in 2011. Why did I share that with anyone? Uh, but its if you're trying to learn and grow in any sort of genre to tie it back to the question, you've got a lot of listening to do. And though there's going to be times when your input is needed or asked for, uh, I, there's a difference between... Uh, subject matter opinion and your opinion on what should be performed if it's actually your your spot to call because that's something that I can tell you my biggest mistakes have been made in that realm biggest mistakes I've seen other people do are in that realm and it's something that uh, though I may be hypocritical somewhat in saying that I'm still self-aware enough to know that that it has been and likely still is one of my faults fair enough Well, gentlemen, we're
1: kind of at that time, but man, do I have a whole series of other questions I want to get into. So we may have to find time in Kevin's busy schedule to get him back. And actually, after John described being at one of the Rise events, I kind of like, that's something I think I'd like to go check out at some
0: point. So we may have to make the drive down. It's been one of the fun. I think, though, I mean, there's many things that I like, but I think my favorite one is let me pull it up here. do. Uh, it was brutality last year when I in uh la so when I was with my buddy Pete and I remember very vividly him and I watching the match um crap who was fighting Shotzi blackheart for that match Kevin
3: oh it was, it, that was Chris wolfen shot
0: yeah it's when Chris threw um shotzi right towards where Pete and I were sitting and we both had a split second to just grab our personal effects, and get out. (laughs) Which, you can see the look on our faces on the DVD if you go over to, uh, what is it, rise-wrestling.com.
3: Yeah, if you're looking to get the uh, to get physical media, we've got Blu-rays and DVDs of all our shows at rise wrestlingcom and you can click on store. That'll take you to our online store on Equid. Or we've got a digital streaming platform where if you want to pay per download and own it, you can. Uh, the shows are generally nine ninety nine a show, or you can subscribe for four ninety nine a month, and it's basically Netflix for Rise. You have access to the full video archive for four ninety nine a month.
1: That may be where I have to start, but I got to tell you, it sounds like we're far away.
3: We- right. I gotta figure this out so well, yeah i mean uh next time we're in chicago march 29th is our next time in chicago we've got january 19th we're down in houston
1: i'm going to have to put things on my calendar and make some things happen so kevin we want to thank you so much for your time and, and taking uh taking us down a little bit down memory lane but really given a, a, a an insight that i never would have ever had into the world of, of, of wrestling um I just, I marvel at the people that do it. I just marvel at the the level of professionalism that is involved in putting on such a spectacular show and what such a great product. So, kudos to you and yep. your team. And, and thank you once again for being a part of 40 ish. Thank you, guys. So, this is where I say thanks to John. Yep. Thanks to Lance. I thanked Kevin, but I'll thank him again because that's what I do. Uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one. And uh, if I don't talk to you, we'll see you on the next episode.